Now we have a special feature, the Reverend William Barber II, talking about white nationalism, patriotism, and Donald Trump. The Reverend Barber is the architect of the Forward Together Moral Monday movement. He's also president of the North Carolina NAACP and pastor of the Greenleaf Christian Church Disciples of Christ in Goldsboro, North Carolina. And he's co-author of the book, The Third Reconstruction, How a Moral Movement is Overcoming the Politics of Fear and Division. Finally, he's the 2016 recipient of the Puffin Nation Prize for Creative Citizenship. He's been filing regular dispatches for the nation on the Southern Movement for Racial Justice. He gave this talk last month on the Nation Cruise. I think when we start with Trump, let's say that Trump, not just Trump, but Trump and many of those who support him are white nationalists and white supremacists. And we have to say that very clearly. And for me, that is not how they, based on how they stood at, about Charlottesville. It's based on the entire um, uh, set of politics and policies uh, that they support that often doesn't quote unquote, use a racist language to describe them, which is what, um, what was his name that, um, uh, he was a campaign manager for, for Bush and others, um, Carl, Carl, Carl Lee Atwater oh, yeah. yeah. said that we're gonna reframe white racism in a way that you don't sound. So that yesterday, last night, we passed racist legislation because Carl um, uh, Lee Atwater said we would talk, we would stop talking about race. Actually, he said we would stop using the N word we would talk about entitlement reform, states' rights, and tax cuts. He said it would sound extremely economic, but in fact, it would be deeply racist. It would hurt black and brown people the most and poor whites, but it would also create a situation and a, and a, and a theme that basically blames poor black people and brown people for the problems of white people and create a, a constant uh, dissonance and separation. So now white race, white supremacy is narcissistic. Mm -hmm. It is rooted in idolatry and it is a lie, right? It is a lie. So there's no wonder Trump would say I and I alone can save it. That's, <laughs> that's what white supremacy does. That's what white nationalism does. Um, I said to my union friends that those that voted for Trump because of what he promised them about um, certain agreements, I said, you should have talked to my auntie who used to teach us, if you scratch a liar, you find a thief. <laughs> so what would make you think you could trust Trump on jobs and on living wages and those kinds of issues if the first thing he did to campaign was, was expose his racism? And he actually exposed the kind of racism and white supremacy that Richard Spencer, who by the way went to Duke for a little while, yeah. right, working on a PhD in European studies. Mm -hmm. Richard Spencer says that the first battle of white nationalism today is the attack on immigrants. That's, right. mm -hmm. That's what he says. And he said that once Trump came down those escalators and attacked Mexican, that, he said that's our man. Because they see that today as the war, the first war. Now, white nationalism, white supremacy. Now, I know my brother said, I'm, where am I going? I'm, I'm going there. White nationalism, white supremacy is not just anti-black, it's anti-democracy. 
Now, we've always had to battle. That is America's original sin. It's what has infected and invaded our politics. White supremacy, white nationalism that, that confuses where, as Dr. King said, we end up having a high blood pressure of creeds and anemia of deeds, <laughs> right? So what have we always done? What does patriotism look like in a nation where we struggle with narcissism and with idolatry? You know, American exceptionalism is a form of idolatry. Now, I'm a theologian by training, <clears throat> and idolatry is the first sin of the Bible. Idolatry, self-worship. Once you do that, all the other things follow. Injustice, attack on women, attack on children, whatnot. So what does patriotism look? Well, 2,600 years ago, a prophet named Jeremiah was struggling with the issue of how to love Israel, how to make her better, but, how, but, but I need to question the narcissistic leadership. And he received this word of how to be a good patriot, if you will, or a good prophet. And I'm using those words interchangeably because I believe in a kind of prophetic patriotism that engages in subversive hope. Right? That subversive hope. That's where you said it's got to be hopeful. It's not just to tear the nation apart. It's to build a nation up. I remember when we started Mar Monday, some folk didn't want us to carry the flags. I said, why? They said, we hate the flags. I said, well, no, no, no. We, we don't care. We're just going to kind of get it straightened out, you know. And I want to carry it because that blue section in the flag stands for justice. Right? And that's why all the stars are in there. Because until there's justice for all, then the flag really isn't flying properly. And I understand, I love Kabernacki, for instance, kneeling, because kneeling is a very holy position. We haven't talked about that part of the kneeling. I, I'm like, how are all these people against him kneeling? I mean, really? That's one of the, that's one of the, the most holy positions, to kneel in. Well, anyway, going back to Jeremiah, Jeremiah said, was told, go down, to, if you want to be good to Israel, if you want Israel to be better, go down to the king's palace. Don't send a tweet. <laughs> it's, in it's in the Bible Jeremiah yeah, 22 yeah. New edition. Right. it says go down to the king's palace and tell the king stop passing policies that hurt the poor children That's right. stop hurting the immigrants That's right. stop um, charging people usury stop making your work, workers work for nothing and stop using policy to murder people that's patriotism. Okay. Patriotism. What is patriot? Patriotism is patriotism is is um, uh, patriotism is Justice Harlan mm -hmm. on the Supreme Court in the late 1880s, 1890s, and being known for being the great dissenter. Even though he lost, sometimes eight to one. But he wrote these dissents that would let, these moral dissents, he almost sounds like a preacher if you read some of those dissents. And he writes them and lays a foundation for Charles Hamden Houston and others. I hope I'm right on that. <laughs> you know, the great dissenter, that's, that's, that's patriotism. Patriotism in the time of, of, from a moral perspective, is raising the question that Howard Thurman said, where you stand on the side of the dispossessed is the measure of your humanity. Patriotism is, is Henry Thoreau being asked, will you stop and repent for all of this 
civil disobedience. And he says, well, the only thing I might repent for is for not asking sooner what demons possessed me so long to keep, possessed me to keep me quiet so long. That's, right. That's patriotism. Patriotism is policemen and others killing a teenage boy who had a lisp claiming that he whistled at a white woman in Money, Mississippi. And you hear about that as a black woman who is not nonviolent, i.e. Rosa Parks was not nonviolent. Read the real story. Read the, read the radical life of Rosa Parks. She didn't even believe, she didn't even let a black man date her that didn't carry a gun. Because she had investigated rapes all over the South. And she knew how vulnerable a black woman was when she walked, when she went anywhere. So Rosa Parks didn't, wouldn't date a black man that didn't carry a gun. But for a better nation, hear what I'm saying? Instead of picking up guns to go after those cops, she used her training from Highlander. And on today, 62 years ago, today, roundabout right now, Huh? Rosa Parks would use all of her character, all of her, 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 her power as a, as a community figure at the local level today. And she would sit down and create a spark. And if you believe that it was unplanned, if you believe that they were able to run 50,000 copies of a flyer off, over the weekend on those old mimeograph machines that you used, if you want to believe that, then go ahead. But what you should know is that the women of Montgomery had been fighting for a long time. Rosa Parks had learned organizing, and she knew that a spot, and she knew that America would not be better unless she sat down, but she sat down rooted in a deep moral framework that I'm doing this because of something higher. What is going on is legal, according to man's law, but it's illegal, according to God's law. Finally, patriotism, moral, moral, in terms of, in, in terms of um, morality, is reclaiming, picking up our constitutions and dusting them off. Dusting them off. And, 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 find, and asking ourselves, why have we let people make us stop using language in the Constitution. And gra reclaiming that language, like we, like um, acknowledgement of frailty as a nation. and Because it says in order to become a more perfect union, that is admittance that we are not. That helps under undermine that narcissism, that tendency to idolatry as a nation. Or that first principle, what is it? Freedom? No. Freedom doesn't come up first. Establishment of justice. Promoting the general welfare. Welfare? Yes. That's a deep, why did we stop using that word? Welfare. Common, the, the common defense. Common defense of the common man, common person. Domestic tranquility. And then you have a freedom worthy of passing on to posterity. So part of moral is claiming the deep moral principles of, of, 
of, of, of this nation, what we've said on paper even when we haven't kept it. And finally, moral politics, uh, morality in politics in this moment is understanding that somebody like Trump and others, Roy Moore, all of them, who put their hands on Bibles, swear and claim about being Christian and then pass these unchristian laws. You cannot in this moment talk about moral politics and not challenge the heretical form of religion that goes around claiming to be Christian, claiming to be biblical evangelicalism, when in fact it is one of the worst forms of heresy that, that, that history has ever seen. And it is a purchased form of heresy. You got to go back to when Sun Oil and General Motors and, a, and the National Chamber of Commerce literally went out to purchase pulpits after the New Deal, 1935, 36, 37. It's a long history. I won't get into it. But we have to challenge that with the faith. Now, now hear me, because I know some of you said, but I'm not Christian. I'm not talking about you being Christian. What I'm talking about, though, is we cannot let this masquerade go on without having some bodies that are willing to stand up and say, wait a minute, I'm an evangelical, right? I'm a Christian. And there are 2,500 scriptures in the Bible that deal with how you treat the poor and how you treat the least of these and how you treat the hurting and the broken. And, and love is at the center of it and justice is in the core of it. And you are no longer going to get a pass in fact, I can't let you get a pass because you'll never get redeemed. You'll never get better. <laughs> That's right. So I've got to challenge that because we cannot underestimate the power of heresy to falsely inform narcissistic leaders to the point that they literally believe that what they are doing is of God or is the right thing. And in these days and time, we have to challenge, we have to challenge the heresy. As Jim Wallace says, a white evangelicalism, which is a euphemism for old white men. Okay. Now that's a long, and I know I've been a little long, but, but we have to challenge it. As I said to Franklin Graham when I went to meet with him one time and, and uh, I asked him, looking right at him, he ser and the day we went to meet with him, he served watermelon and chicken and hot sauce. <laughs> and he asked me, did, we, did I want any of it? I said, no. But I, I said, but I do want to ask you a question. Have you ever even read the Bible? <laughs> do you even know Jesus, the brown-skinned Palestinian Jew, who was crucified for his revolutionary acts? And because he was, in the real sense, a true patriot and challenge the narcissism and the narcissistic leaders of his day. So in that sense, my uh, brother Victor, I think we have to grab our, in this moment, our deepest moral values in the constitution and our deepest moral values in religion. And we have to lift those up because everything you all claim to care about in this room, if you go back to the core, nothing that you believe in, even down to 
Democratic socialism at some place doesn't have a deep moral core underneath it that helps to undergird it. And we can't leave that untapped anymore in the society. The Reverend William Barber speaking last month on The Nation Cruise. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. Thank you.